From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Launchpad on Business Radio. Hello and welcome to Launchpad. I'm Carl Ulrich. I'm CIBC Endowed Professor at the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania, where I teach innovation, entrepreneurship, and product design. We're going to jump right into it. I am super lucky to have with me today Nick Green, who's CEO and co-founder of Thrive Market. And before we get too far into it, I'm just going to point you to the URL of his company's website. It's just thrivemarket.com, all one word, pretty simple. Uh, so Nick, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right, well, let's get right into it. Give us the elevator pitch for Thrive Market. So Thrive is a membership club for healthy living. Uh, we're on a mission to make healthy and sustainable living easy, affordable, and accessible to anybody. And the way that we do it is by combining, call it an assortment like you'd find in a Whole Foods. So the best of natural, organic, uh, better for you, increasingly regenerative uh, products uh, that you consume in your home, um, but available through better pricing uh, via a Costco-like membership model. So our members pay $60 a year, equivalent of $5 a month and get, uh, you know, basically make back that membership fee on a couple of purchases and get discounts throughout the year on um, better for your products. And then every paid membership actually sponsors a free membership for a low-income family. So the, the mission is baked into every part of the business, um, both in terms of access and then also on the sustainability side. Uh, we have a zero-waste fulfillment network, um, so have done dozens of CapEx projects across the network to make sure that we're uh, reducing nearly all of the waste uh, and then offsetting the remainder that's associated with e-commerce. Uh, we're carbon neutral on all of our shipping. Um, and then, you know, really focused on uh, with the brands that we work with, and then also the uh, products under the Thrive Market brand, which is about 25% of our sales, uh, moving up supply chain and, and really making it more ethical, more sustainable, uh, and more socially conscious. All right, so that that sounds great, and I love the 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 shorthand that it's Whole Foods meets Costco, and those are great brands to be associated with, and it also conveys pretty clearly what the basic idea is. Um, but maybe talk a little bit more about the actual user experience. So, so how do I shop? And uh, you allude to an, a membership fee, so presumably I I join as I do with Costco. And, and then what is the actual shopping and, and fulfillment process like? Yeah, so you become a member to shop. Um, you pay at the beginning of the year, and then you get the benefit through the whole year. And part of the benefit, obviously, is the savings. So we're putting you know pricing up to 30% off of retail. Uh, so as I said before, pretty quickly, you make back that membership fee. But as you, I think, alluded to in your question, there's also a lot of value in the actual uh, shopping experience. So, you know, first and foremost, you don't have to go to the store. So most of our members download our app and shop right from their phone. Um, we use an onboarding quiz to basically uh, enable you to filter the assortment down to the products that fit your lifestyle, your values, your family. So particularly if you've got a family where, you know, one person's vegan, one person cares about, uh, uh, you know, uh, sustainability in the supply chain, one kid has a nut allergy, um, you know, click, 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 and you can filter everything down. Um, and uh, and then we're we're hyper curated in the assortment to begin with as well. So you know, Whole Foods across the, the categories we play in, which are basically all of your dry consumer packaged goods plus frozen plus wine, um, uh, are you know call it forty thousand SKUs. We're mm -hmm. about six thousand SKUs, so order of magnitude fewer SKUs. 
meaning it's easier to find the best products. Uh, we're not looking to be an everything store. We want to be just the products that are highest quality, most innovative, best brands. Um, and then, of course, when you get it filtered down to the products that meet your needs, uh, it's an even faster, easier shopping experience because you're going right into the products that are that are suited for you. Um, we've also done a lot with the user experience to tailor it to healthy living. So it starts with the, the filters themselves, you know, the 120 different metadata categories that you can shop by. Um, those are, can, you can change them by shopping session if you want to, you know, explore paleo or you want to do keto for 30 days, uh, or you can sustain them across, you know, your entire shopping experience long-term. Um, and then we also have our own brand. So here we, we kind of get into more of a, I said Costco and, and Whole Foods, but almost like a Trader Joe's yeah. model where we are, um, you know, going deeper up the supply chain to drive more innovation and the way we think about that is, is sort of turning the traditional private label model on its head. Uh, we're not just trying to copy uh, products from third-party brands and make them cheaper at you know near or similar quality. We actually want to elevate the quality. Um, mm -hmm. So we do that in terms of the sustainability of the products. We do that in terms of animal welfare. Uh, and then we also do it often in terms of taste and just functionality. Um, so really trying to innovate with form factors and packaging. Uh, and sizing uh, to make them more appealing to our members. And you know, today that's about, call it 10% of the assortment is Thrive mm -hmm. Market Brands, so literally products you can't find anywhere else in the world. Um, and then uh, it's almost 25% of our sales. So punching wow. above, our, above the weight of the third-party branded products just because those items are so innovative and unique. Yeah, say, say a little bit more about, about logistics. Let's say I want to buy a you know, six bottles, six half gallons of of some beverage, you know, kombucha or something. Uh, well, the be beverage, you're, you're starting with a tough category. So yeah, I know. Yeah, I get where you're going. So, e All right, so, so answer the question. You, you know my question. Absolutely. Absolutely. The, you know, the notorious challenge of e-commerce is, um, you know, it's basically price to weight, call it, uh, where if you have big, heavy items, um, that don't cost a lot of money, it's very hard to make the economics of shipping those items work. Uh, so like bottled water would be a very extreme example. Yeah. Uh, you know, a gallon of milk would be a very extreme example. Um, so there are some items that we won't carry. Like we're not going to carry like the full liquid detergent, for example. Yeah. But we will carry detergent concentrate because we can get mm -hmm. that down and do it in a form factor that makes sense. Uh, for us, that consideration is not only in terms of the economics for our business, um, but also in terms of the sustainability impact, right? So the carbon right. footprint of shipping big, heavy stuff is higher. Um, the way that we have really, I think the most innovative thing we've done uh, to start with is that we consolidate your purchasing into larger orders. So I think yeah. one of the most kind of distortionary uh, and negative environmental behaviors that you see on, on other platforms like Amazon is, you know, buying onesie twosies. You go on to, you go on to Amazon and you buy what you want that minute, you know, a few hours later you buy another thing, you know, those ship in separate boxes um, from separate warehouses uh, through a very complex logistics network. So we have three fulfillment centers. We can reach, you know, call it 90 some percent of the country in two days or under um, and over half of the country in one day or under. So we're not going to be as quick uh, as some items might be uh, on a platform like Amazon. Mm -hmm. But the bet that we're making is that our members care about sustainability, that the items they're buying aren't things they need that exact moment. Um, and that if we can get them in, get them there in one to two days using carbon neutral shipping and shipping more than one item uh, together, 
that's going to be a compelling value proposition. So our average member is purchasing uh, up to 15 items per order. Uh, it's about 14 on average. Um, and uh, you know that means better economics for us. It means more sustainability overall. Um, and it actually means more convenience for the members because instead of having to you know stand there getting notifications you know five or six times during the day that different items are arriving, you get one box from Thrive and it's all in there. The other big innovation we've done uh, that I mentioned earlier is uh, reducing waste in the fulfillment centers. Uh, so we're True Gold certified across each of our three uh, fulfillment nodes. Um, again, did you know numerous capex projects to get there. One of the things we're most proud about that about with that project or those projects is that as a whole, they actually drove an ROI for the business as well. Mm -hmm. So one of the things we always look for is can we do something that's good for the planet um, that our members will care about and that's actually good for business? So I think a lot of businesses view kind of uh, social, environmental, and business interest as uh, as kind of diametrically opposed, a zero sum, if you will. Um, we tried to sort of throw that out the window and challenge our um, our employees and our teams to think about opportunities where we can get where we can get it all. And the zero the, the zero waste fulfillment network is a great example of that where it actually has been more profitable for us to uh, recycle and reduce waste in, time, in, in in the fulfillment centers. It's better for the environment. And it turns out our members really care about it too. Um, yeah. Yeah, the last thing that we do is carbon reduction. So we're also carbon neutral in all of our shipping. Uh, you're seeing more and more businesses that are looking at offsetting their carbon footprint with, uh, with carbon offsets, uh, which is quite controversial. And not all carbon offsets are, are created the same. Uh, we've been doing that for our kind of residual carbon footprint since the you know, very beginning of the business back in 2014. But the bigger thing that we focus on is actually reduction of the carbon footprint in the first place. So we don't have to offset as much. And you know, driving up the average order value does a lot with that. Um, refusing to do overnight uh, or air shipping, which is you know order of magnitude higher carbon footprint, uh, has a lot to do with that. Um, and then you know various things that we do in the supply chain helps to really reduce the carbon footprint. So yeah. So so Nick, let me let me drill down on the on the consumer behavior around around minimum order size. It it you know if you think about two extreme views, one would be the Amazon view, which says we're going to give you all you can eat. We're going to fuel your impulsive behavior, and we don't care if you order one package of dental floss. Uh, we're we're going to give that to you for free. You know the shipping the shipping for free, and they they give you small nudges you know, Amazon delivery day and a few other things, but basically it the whole idea is we're going to try to create this compulsive shopping behavior. Um, the other extreme would be if, if I recall jet.com in the early days had a, had a basically an economic model of freight and logistics, which they just shared with the consumer. So they basically, you saved more uh, if you had certain buying behaviors and you could see it fairly transparently in the pricing that they showed displayed to the, to the user. Uh, how, how do you do it? So how do you, how do you encourage people or enforce this constraint that they order a minimum amount? Yeah. So a really basic thing is we do have a free shipping threshold. Um, that threshold is $50. So it's not mm -hmm. particularly high, you know, it's $40 below our AOV. Um, yeah. 90 some percent of orders will get over that threshold. So the goal there is not so much to like force people or push people or inconvenience the majority of members because for the categories we plan, it's actually quite natural to fill up a cart and have multiple items. The goal there is to take off that tail of you know really egregious orders that again both for the economics of our business 
as well as for the environmental uh, side, um, kind of screw things up. Mm-hmm. So that's the purpose of the $50 uh, uh, free shipping threshold. So we start with that. Um, again, you know, 90 some percent of members are going over that. Uh, the $90 AOV is where we where we land overall. Um, the other thing we do do, which we actually saw first with Jet, and I think Jet did it in an interesting way. We've tried to do it, I think, in a, in a way that's you know, hopefully a little bit more user-friendly is the kind of buy more, save more. So mm-hmm. you do have certain items where we will actually change the price. And you can see that in the dropdown as you add additional items to your cart. Um, so, you know, that's an incentive there. And then the other is just really telling the story uh, yeah. around sustainability. And, you know, we on the site will talk about why do we only do ground shipping, right? Why do we have a free shipping threshold um, and encouraging members to consolidate orders um, and to, and to, and to, and to stock up. And so that's, it's really, it's almost a cultural thing yeah. for our members. And I think one thing that's interesting, you know, you, you mentioned this, but even Amazon now is starting to do that. And it's not, you know, do, do some of these things where they've like, you know, they'll have the Amazon, uh, the prime day delivery, um, or they'll give you, they'll have a the little green leaf that shows you, all right, this is a little bit more eco-friendly way to do it. And these, you know, this is not nearly enough to drive yeah. the, the, the behavior change that we would advocate for. But I think it does tell you that they're responding, like they're a very customer-centric business. They're responding to the fact that, that many customers do now care about this stuff. And I think the game that we're trying to play is both respond to the members and then also urge them to engage in even more of this behavior and be even more aware of the impact. So, you know, we see it as a two-way process where, you know, we're learning from them and hopefully they're, you know, learning and feeling, feeling empowered by us. Yeah. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Launchpad on SiriusXM Business Radio, Channel 132. I'm Carl Ulrich, and I'm speaking with Nick Green, who's the CEO and co-founder of Thrive Market. Uh, Nick, I was chatting with my brother. We happened to be together this afternoon. I was telling him about this interview. And I said, it's Whole Foods meets Costco. And he got this look on his face like, oh, man, that sounds like a really tough business, Whole Foods meets Costco. And so I wonder what possibly possessed you to go comp- try to compete with what is now Amazon and and Costco? Uh, it's, a, it's a great question. I mean, honestly, we're, we're nine years into this business and- uh, Pre-Amazon, I guess. Yeah. Pre-Amazon. And if I had any idea how you know many twists and turns there would be, I probably would have thought twice. But um, but I have zero regrets because the, the the truth is it was the mission motivating us from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And that's been the North Star, you know, the through line through the entire, the entire, um, the entire journey. And I think the feeling was uh, Whole Foods was great, but it wasn't really accessible. Um, and I think they did some really amazing work in raising standards over a 15 to 20 year period really kind of the first wave of the organic movement. I think Whole Foods was 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 very much the leader. Um, and uh, and I think the challenge was, you know, 50% of Americans didn't live near a Whole Foods. That's still the case. And most people just couldn't afford the price premiums, even if they did. So I grew up in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, I had a mom that focused very heavily on, on bringing healthy food into the home. And it was not easy uh, on a budget and without a Whole Foods nearby. Um, my co-founder actually grew up on a communal farm in Ojai, California, where they were wow. doing group buying of organic food back in the 80s and 90s. And so the vision was basically, can we bring the commune to the masses? Can we get you know, that model of, in a way to uh, people in you know, middle class, middle America? 
And it, one of the early challenges we had was just convinced, convincing investors that people outside of the traditional Whole Foods type markets um, and who were not high income urbanites uh, really wanted this lifestyle. And uh, uh, and so we were, you know, we were rejected by 50 plus VCs. We raised uh, all of our initial capital from health and wellness influencers and others in the space who understand uh, understood the problem firsthand. Um, and, uh, and it's been a wild ride because it is a logistically complicated business. Uh, it is a low margin business, but I think the benefit that we've had is one, the mission and the business opportunity are the same thing. Like I talked about that before, but it is not a zero sum thing. And what we've done to feed the mission has actually stoked our growth as a business. Uh, it's made for more efficient customer acquisition. It's made for better retention of our members. It's made for better loyalty and word of mouth. Uh, word of mouth today is actually still our top. Uh, new member acquisition channel. Wow. Uh, not a lot of business can say that a decade in, and and we've been able to reach meaningful scale. So we're we're still you know in the grand scheme of things very early, but doing well over half a billion in sales, well over a million paid members. Um, we've given away hundreds of thousands of gives members to to low income families, and we feel like we're really in pole position to kind of take the baton from Whole Foods and make this natural, organic, better for you movement more accessible. Um, and, and, you know, we've also proven that you can do it profitably. So that's, uh, we've been on a path to profitability the last few years. This will be our first full year profitable, uh, really proud of that. Um, and I think that's a testament to both kind of the discipline and the long-term way that we ran, run the business, uh, and also the strength of the membership model, you know, over the last few years, a number of businesses in our space and e-commerce in general, especially in gross grocery e-commerce have, uh, you know, struggled, if not outright failed. And during that time, we've actually dramatically grown our profitability, uh, accelerated our growth rate coming out of the pandemic. Um, and, you know, even on the pandemic cohorts, which were quite large, we've seen renewal rates at or below pre-pandemic levels. Yeah. So uh, there's a bunch of threads I'd like to chase down here. So you you talked a little bit about, about financing, and it sounds like you might have gotten the timing, at least it isn't the worst possible timing as if you were trying to raise a lot of money right now, which I know is, is, is tough going, but, um, but I, I, fundraising is never easy. And you mentioned celebrities. I noticed on the, the little bit I saw on crunch on um, crunch base that Demi Moore, for example, was, was an investor. Talk a little bit about those early days and how you got the capital to get started. Yeah. I like, like I said, it was very difficult. You know, we, we talked to a bunch of VCs in New York and LA and San Francisco um, you know, mostly men, uh, mostly affluent uh, men, a lot of people that either didn't do their own grocery shopping, or if they did, didn't have to think about price and, mm -hmm. you know, had many options wherever they were. And, uh, and so, you know, our, our typical, um, member today is a middle-class middle American mom. That was not who we were pitching. Uh, yeah. and as a result, they just didn't get the problem. So yeah. it was, uh, I don't know how many entrepreneurs are out there listening, but it was really tough. And there were existential moments throughout those early months. Um, and, you know, celebrities, there were a number, uh, you know, Demi was was one, um, uh, John Legend was another, uh, Jared Leto uh, came on board um, and they were, they were, they were great. Um, mm -hmm. But I'll tell you the people that were really impactful from a, a actual, uh, you know, getting the word out standpoint, were actually people that you probably haven't heard of, but have huge audiences online that are focused on health and wellness. So mm. like uh, Wellness Mama, as an example, is a blogger, mm. a huge platform uh, reaching millions of mostly moms 
uh, all over the country who want to get healthier and do more sustainable things for their families. And, you know, she was a, at the time, 26 year old mother of four living in rural Kentucky. Wow. Her check into Thrive Market was the first venture check she ever wrote. Um, she's since become, she's, I was talking to her the other day. She's since, you know, written, uh, you know, more than I think 25 angel investment checks. Wow. Does, now, does the SEC know? Uh, <laughs> it, well, so it was interesting when I first pitched her, I remember talking, she wanted me to talk to her CPA and he asked, you know, what's the ticker symbol for the, for the company. <laughs> but that was the kind of, you know, those were the people that were going, going after who really understood yes. the problem. And they've of course done very well on their investment and thrive. Yeah. Um, but we did really well, not just because they funded the business, but because when they got on board, they actually helped to get the word out and get that snowball rolling with word of mouth. Um, and, you know, you, you kind of alluded to this earlier. In a way, we're really lucky, like both at the beginning that we got rejected by the VCs because that led to bringing on people that were kind of more values aligned uh, and more value add. Um, eventually those VCs came back and, you know, we brought a great firm on for our series, a great Croft has been an incredible mm -hmm. supporter, uh, since, since early on Dana settle is on our board. She's a, a founder of the, of the fund. Um, we got brought in a great, uh, you know, growth stage partner in, uh, the Invis group, uh, for our series B. Um, and we haven't really gone back to the well, um, since then. So we've run, we raised our series C completely internally. We haven't raised any capital since, uh, since 2020, um, and yes, we've raised hundreds of millions overall, uh, which you need to in this space to get to scale, um, but quite a bit less than a lot of businesses have. And I think we're really fortunate to have, you know, during this period when no one can really raise money easily to not need it, you know, yeah. and to be able to stand on our own, our own two feet. Yeah. Amazing. So you said you can, you have three distribution points and you can cover the U S with, with today. I think I remember that to do that. You would be in Fresno, Harrisburg, and Dallas, or something like that. I don't know where you are, but maybe if you can say it, tell us. But, but yeah, there's a, there's a few configurations that will get there. You know, some of it depends on what's the distribution of your customer base. Yeah. So, like a typical D 2 C business, uh, e-commerce business that that is serving you know wealthy people on the coast, they'll do it in a very different way than we have. Our biggest yeah. fulfillment center is in Batesville, Indiana. So oh, middle of the country. Yeah. And that serves, you know, it serves, uh, we'll call it 40% of our member base. Wow. And then we've got one that will serve the tri-state and the whole Eastern seaboard. Uh, mm -hmm. That's Hanover Township, Pennsylvania. Um, so that gets us uh, overnight still using ground. So no air yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, to, to New York and kind of the whole uh, Eastern seaboard. Uh, and then we have one in Reno, Nevada. Yeah. Uh, so it's about a million square feet total. Yeah. And, you know, we've really, again, like for both efficiency and uh, environmentally, you know, we've had, we've seen economies of scale in those buildings. Um, there's a lot of e-commerce players, uh, Amazon included, that have kind of micro fulfillment centers mm -hmm. all over the place. We've really consolidated it, um, you know, leads, leads gold certified buildings, uh, tr true certifying the, the, the waste profile of the buildings. Uh, and doing you know, meaningful investment, but also I would say relatively capital lean, um, which is nice in our category. You don't need a ton of automation. Yeah. Um, so we've we've been, I think, efficient and values aligned in the way we built the network. All right. Well, I, you know, I had a follow up on that, so I, I wasn't far off on those guests. I should have factored in. Yeah. Uh, you want to be in Fresno, except you don't want to be in California. So that puts you in Reno. So so I I've been through that logic myself, but. Uh, 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 the, the question though is, is how do you get started? 
because you can't out of the gates have three distribution uh, points typically. So, so how do you think about that? Do you, do you really focus regionally? Is that how you get started? You know, we ship nationwide from day one. And mm. that was part of our commitment around access. You know, we wanted to serve the middle of the country. And yet from a just sequencing and practicality standpoint, and frankly, quality assurance standpoint, we wanted to ship initially out of California so we could be there on the ground all the time. We're based in Los Angeles. Um, and so, you know, early on for us, it was really a um, a lot of um, very candid communications with our members about why we made the decisions we did where we are at currently and then where mm -hmm. we are going to get to. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we didn't have one day shipping to half of the yeah. member base yeah. or two day to 95% of the member base when we launched. Um, and, you know, we didn't have, uh, there's a lot in terms of our just shipping optimization and contracts and use of multiple carriers and direct ship lanes that we've done since then. And, but yeah, we've been really open with our members on where we are, and where we're going. And I think they've appreciated that. And, you know, we're really grateful, frankly, to the member base that gave us a lot of slack early on, on, you know, our, our, the catalog wasn't as complete. We didn't have any of our own brand products. Um, at the time we were buying largely through, through a distributor and that meant uh, the pricing wasn't as sharp as it's gotten. So, you know, we, we had a lot of, just like those influencers, we had a lot of members mm -hmm. that bet on us early that could see the core of the value proposition. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at this point, and this is very much in the kind of Costco playbook, we just focused on maniacally rolling more and more value into that membership so that each year we can look back and say, all right, there's been a step function improvement in the value to membership. And, and as a result, we see a nice step function in the renewal rates um, on an annual basis. Yeah. Nick, we just have about one minute, but I know some of your people in your, in your space, we, for example, were, were propelled dramatically by the pandemic. Uh, what was the experience of the pandemic for you? And was it net positive in terms of building your business? Well, well first and foremost, it was a, a moment for the mission. You know, it was a yeah. moment when access was a challenge for everyone. And uh, and so it was a time, it was also a time when we had to really prioritize our people, you know, from a safety standpoint, mm -hmm. more than two thirds of our employees are in those fulfillment centers. Early on, there was a lot of unknown about, about COVID. So uh, yeah, it was a, it was a wild ride. We put our people first, we put the mission first. And we also, I think, had, in, in retrospect, the benefit of the membership, mm -hmm. uh, which kept out the people that just wanted to come in and buy yeah. you know, toilet paper and hand sanitizer once. Um, and as a result, that membership, you know, it filtered for people that actually wanted to be long-term members. And as I mentioned before, we've had really strong retention of those members. So net net positive for the business, for sure. Um, you know, the supply chain and inflation and issue, issues that have come in the wake have certainly been a challenge for us, like everyone else but we've been able to operate through those from a position of strength. Yeah. Well, Nick, we're, we're out of time, but that was, that is a terrific story. And uh, thanks so much for making the time to share it with us. Thank you. Really enjoyed it. All right. We need to take a short break. When I come back, we're going to talk to uh, Stephen Galanis, who's the CEO and co-founder of Cameo. I'm Carl Ulrich and I'm CIBC professor at the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania. And you've been listening to Launchpad on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132.